Hallelujah. How great is our God. Who would ever thought the little tiny feet of that one laying in the manger would bruise the head of the serpent. But not only that, but he said the God of peace shall bruise Satan's head and crush him under your feet. It's your promise also. We're serpent bruisers today. We're more than overcomers through him that loved us. Amen. Aren't you glad for him today? Amen. Here we're at one of the last services, one of the, one of the last in this year. We have a privilege of serving God one more time in this capacity. Let's just enter in with all our hearts today. Amen. God bless you. All that has gathered with us here and across the nation, across the world, and wherever you are, God knows your need. You just believe as we pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the many blessings of life and the joy of serving you. The time that we can come together, Lord, as your children. And I pray, oh God, you would just bless us in your presence today. Let us not speak as men, but let us speak as oracles of God. Anoint your word to our hearts, Lord. Bless us in a mighty way, O God, today in your presence. Lord, men can speak a lot of things, but if you will speak, one word from you would mean all the difference, Lord. And we know, Father, that as the anointing comes down and anoints us, that we come under the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Lord, and you begin to speak through human vessels as oracles of God. I pray, Father, oh God, that that reality will come, that the Spirit is speaking expressly. Lord, that it's, it's calling our attention to every promise in the Word of God. I ask now that you would just anoint the Word today. Anoint our hearts to receive. Lord, anoint us with faith to believe and receive it for ourselves. We're your children in your presence today and we're asking for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. It's good to see each one of you that has assembled together with us. And, and um, you know, we had, um, we had our little time of, of to be together with our families this week as um, the world stopped to uh, supposedly stop to remember Jesus. That's what we did. What the world did, that's another thing, but... Amen. What we, are, what we did was stop to remember the great gift that God has given. And of course, we're here today to remember that gift and to thank him for it. And I think a Christian every day is Christmas for us. Amen. Because Christ is in our lives. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I'm going to speak today on the love affair of Christ and his bride because I believe that that's um, really what it is, is that between Christ and the church, 
is uh, like a loving marriage. And Paul likens it to a union between a man and his wife. And, um, you know, where the Bible said he gave himself for it, holding back nothing. And to, to the very giving of Jesus' own life, he held back not even his own self. And as uh, Romans 8 says that he did not withhold his only son from us. Amen. But he literally died taking our sins to the cross and paying for them with his own blood and proving by doing so that he will hold nothing back from his people. Amen. Now, in the church age book, um, Brother Branham said this. He said, according to the word of God, the bride was chosen before the foundation of the world. And this choosing of the bride was purpose in himself. Ephesians 1, 9 and, and in Romans 9, 11, it says that the purpose of God according to election might stand. And you can't read it any other way. The heart purpose, the eternal purpose of God was to take a bride of his own choosing. And that purpose was in itself being, and being eternal was decreed before the foundation of the world. God's been waiting a long time to bring forth his bride. Amen. The Bible said Christ also loved the church. This is very important that we look at this as a love affair. God is love. This is his nature. That's the essence of his great being. It's a substance that determines his character. And that's why Brother Branham believed that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is divine love. When he went beyond the curtain of time, nothing but perfect love could enter there. Amen. So as the bride and groom is a couple that is brought together um, in love, so the church in Christ must also be united together in love. And in order to be his bride, one must love him. I want you to get that thought. One must love him to be his bride. Now, just as the Bible tells of a church, though, that's without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing, and that church represents a people that we believe we're a part of today, it also tells of another woman that in contrast to the bride is a group of people, another group that is claiming to be his queen, but she's a wicked woman. She she has no love for him. She hates what he stands for, so she tries to change him into a creature of of her own liking. She is called in Revelation 17 and 18, the great whore. First, she loves herself more than she loves him. And second, as a whore, she shares herself with others. Now, so her womb is not for him alone. And this is, this is the charge that God has against uh, the church. And I'm separating the church there from the bride in this deal. Because again, she wants his provisions. She wants his comfort. She wants his salvation from hell. But she don't want to reproduce him. Now, remember, this is a whole thing of a man and a wife coming together, a woman coming together. When she pledges her life, she pledges her womb to him and him only to reproduce him. 
Now, so again, you know, again, to be the bride of Christ means that we are pledging ourselves. Our, we are pledging us ourselves as a church, as a body of believers to be a womb, to reproduce him. Now, in signs of his coming, Brother Branham tells us that Adam's bride was found with false seed. You remember that in the Garden of Eden. And that's exactly right. Jehovah's bride then, which was Israel, she was found the same way. But, and he divorced her and put her away. Is that right? Now, that was God. Christ's bride is the same thing. She is found with a worldly organizational seed in her and not the gospel having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from the Holy Spirit and the word, there is the sign of the last day. Now, I want to get this to you. God will divorce her and take his bride as certain as anything in here. So just as God put away uh, uh, Israel and Adam should have put away Eve, come on, Amen. And, and Jehovah put away Israel and, and she became forsaken and, uh, and uh, desolate, the Bible said, without a husband, without, without his care, without his love. Amen. Amen. And just uh, that, we know then the same thing happens in the last day. God will divorce a church, Amen. any church that will not take and reproduce his life. Now, Revelation 3 pictures her in the last church age with Christ, her husband, on the outside. Refuse entrance within. I want you to see the condition. It's, it's not just him having refused his church. He died for the church. He gave his life for the church. He equipped his church. He has never been negligent in marriage. He's always been the provider. He's always had a love affair for her. Come on. Amen. He has never failed on one of his promises. But you see, the last church age Christ, her husband, is on the outside, refused entrance within his fellowship and his love unwanted. And this wicked woman sitting as a queen pretended to be rich and increased with goods. And in Revelation 17, pictured as a queen, decked in gold and silver and arrayed in purple and scarlet. The Bible uses a very harsh, severe term against her, a whore. Yet this is her self-assessment. I'm rich. I have need of nothing. God, I don't need you. Stand on the outside. Amen, you're on the outside. Laodicean age shows him rejected. His word rejected. Come on, his headship rejected. She'll take a denomination and some other lover, but she won't take his headship. Are you with me now? And God describes her as being miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked, a rejecter of her husband who is not allowed entrance and knocks at her door and she with a cold and lukewarm heart with a tepid attitude toward him turns him away. 
Now that's the, that is the condition of the end time people. Religious, yeah. Amen, but, but you know, sitting as a queen, yeah. Rich, yeah. But, but rejecter of her husband and his seed life. And then in turn, the Bible shows that he shows his response as something as, uh, that she had become something so distasteful to him that she is actually spewed out of his mouth. Now, to be spewed out of his mouth means she no longer speaks for him and she no longer is his representative. Amen. But we know in all of that, a virgin must come because he said that he would have a bride without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. So we know there has to be one. Even though there is a system, a religious system that rejects him, we know there's got to be a people that receives him. Hallelujah. That will be married to him and it will be a love union. That they're in love with him. They love his word. They love his truth. They love him. Now, so a virgin must come. And she must conceive and bring forth Christ back to the world again. Now, Brother Branham looked at the other moves of God and he pondered and spoken words, the original seed. He asked the question, why didn't these other reigns or revivals, you know, bring back yonder bring forth the bride to Christ? He said, why? Why didn't they? He said, David, there's been other moves of God. But he said, you know, why? His coming is long overdue. And, you know, it's like the days of Noah, you know, the long suffering of God where he's getting a bride ready. And he asked the question, why didn't the Pentecostals do it? Back yonder, he said then 50 years ago, now it's 100 years ago. Why didn't you bring the bridegroom to Christ, uh, to the bride? Let, let me soak that for a minute. Because you impregnated yourself with your denomination. That's exactly what you've done. You won't marry a whore. He'll marry a virgin. So just as it was with Adam before he could get to her, the, the serpent was there. Amen. Just before that, that Jehovah, she would bring forth the Messiah. What happened? Israel went a whoring. What happens again? We see the repeat, an unfaithful wife. Amen. An unfaithful wife here in this end time. But in all of that, God's going to have a faithful bride who will love him and have his potentials. Are you with me now? Now, okay, so you see, he said, because you impregnated yourself by your denominations. Now, I, I, I'll tell you, I can't help but think about it when he's castigating the Pentecostals 50, for 50 years along and said, why didn't your revival bring it? Sometimes I'm wondering why this revival hadn't produced it yet. We've had 56 years since the prophet left. I wonder if it isn't because too many seeds of men have been taken rather than the pure word of God preached. Amen. Now, but he said, he said uh, uh, why? Christ has to get him a bride now. He's found the so-called group impregnated. She's going to sleep. He's going to sow his seed. Somebody is going to get it. 
This is what rejoices my heart this morning. In all of this, somebody is going to get it because they're predestinated to be a church at the end of the road. Hallelujah. So in spite of the failures, in spite of the troubles, in spite of the problems and the false doctrines that have been, amen, God said somebody's going to get it because he predestinated a church at the end of the road. That's what warms my heart this morning. Amen, is just realizing it. And he says, in spoken words, original seed, the rain falls on the just and unjust. That's what's the matter. That's why we didn't have a bride ready for Christ now. We sowed denominational seeds instead of the word. And what has it done? It has brought some more denominational children. So denominational seeds, you know, you just tell them all they have to do is believe a message creed. And they're born again. You see, you see that that is uh, that becomes the condition of the whorish woman. Now, again, you know, he said that's right. But among them, some wheat has fallen. And look at the same spirit that makes the real, true, genuine believer speak with tongues. The real spirit that makes a genuine believer a Christian, because it's irrigating the word of seed. Come on. That same spirit makes something substitute like A's hybrid, makes a hybrid just so happy and just as much shouting and feel just as much joyful as the rest of, rest of them. But what is the truth of it? The seed is wrong to begin with. You know, what we want to do is we want to look at the fruit that we are producing. Amen. We want to see that our church is producing sons and daughters of God sold out to the word. In love with Jesus, not in love with church, amen, not, not in love with the mother, come on, but in love with Christ. Now, so again, so he says, all your fleshly demonstrations mean nothing, and I just want to add to that, and they don't, and they don't, none of them mean anything, but neither does educating people into an intellectual conception mean anything. You know, on one end, we hear it says, you know, though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not charity or love, I I am nothing. But don't forget, though I understand all mysteries, you can be devoid of the Holy Ghost and still have an understanding of the mysteries. You can speak in tongues and and be, be, um, you you, you can, let, let me get that clear. I'm not sure if I got that right. Let me say it one more time. But I, I want you to understand, the Bible is very clear. First Corinthians 13, we can speak with tongues of men and angels and have not the Holy Ghost. That's divine love. Amen. We can understand all mysteries and not have the Holy Ghost. That's divine love. Divine love is the Holy Ghost. Now, not, not some fleshly love. Not filio love, but the nature of God coming into your life, changing you, making you love truth. Now, so as Brother Branham said, the very minute moment death entered and she started, she started to get sick. And as she got sick, she changed to a powerless group of people whose only weapon was argument. She can produce nothing in the spirit. 
Why do we want to be that? That that's all we, we got is a better argument. That we got a better argument about Jesus' name, baptism. What happened in the garden. We got a better argument. Come on. About Malachi 4. And we got a better argument. And nothing of the spirit. Now, but I want to just say again, God is going to have a bride. She, he must have a womb to reproduce himself. And that's why he calls out in Jeremiah 3.14, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married to you, and I will take you, one of a city, two of a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. So you see, God promised a restoration. He didn't say all the Baptists, Methodists, and all of these others would be saved. He said, I'll bring two out of here and one out of there. But I'm going to bring them back to the promised land. I'll bring them back to Zion to be in the bride again. Listen, he had married Israel at Pentecost. 50 days after the Passover. He married and took a bride at Pentecost 50 days after Jesus died on the cross, the Passover. And now seven church age later, the, the lamb was, that was slain at Calvary, Passover, it is now Pentecost again where he's calling the bride. Don't we realize that? We are at another Pentecost. Amen. It's a Pentecost where he becomes one with the people. Amen, where he becomes married to them. Now, so again, you see, here we are where he is calling a bride and, he's, and in doing so, he is saying, come out of her, my people. Turn on back, sliding children. Amen, saith the Lord for it. I am married to you and I'll take one of a city and two of a family and I'll bring you to Zion. Well, you know what God did for you? Amen. There was many there who stayed right in the system you were in when God called you out. Is that right? Amen. What was he doing? God calling. You begin to hear a call others didn't hear. Hallelujah. There was a a deep calling to the deep. Amen. There must be a virgin womb. There must be a bride without spot. Amen. I see systems of religion and I see what they're producing. But I want something that is makes me a virtuous bride to him who loves every word. The word is going to bring forth children. And I want you to remember that because a lot of times we're preaching word, 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 word. But what's the word going to do? Bring forth children. Now, and we are bringing them forth. But I wonder sometimes what kind are we seeing? We're seeing so many times we're seeing creed believing, lukewarm, powerless people who can't believe in the manifestations of the spirit. Men who have the form of godliness but deny his power. They can't believe God for healing, miracles, and true salvation. Amen. They, they want to claim salvation but... They keep confessing, my flesh isn't saved, which it ain't. But they don't know the power of God unto deliverance. So they are cursed children who can't keep from sinning. By the way, I'm quoting Bible. You see, we were not given the power over the sin. Well, why didn't the Bible admonish you to wake to righteousness and sin not? 
Why does it say in Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and sin not? Amen. Why, you know, and then adds, neither give place to the devil. Why is it that it says in 1 John 2 and 1, my little children, I, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. Amen. Well, what about 1 John 5, 18? We know whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is born of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Amen. So you see, sin once ruled us. That is true. But now we are to rule sin. As Paul said, sin shall not have dominion. Hallelujah. It shall not have dominion over us. We are free from sin and have been made free from sin. We are servants of righteousness. So that's, that's the power of the gospel. It changes lives. If you still got the world and the desire of the world, you have not received the life of Christ yet. That's simple and plain as can be. Look at the fruit. Look what's being produced in your life. You say, well, Brother Tim, we're all in the flesh. Yes, we're all in the flesh. I've still got an unconverted flesh. But I, I keep that body under subjection by the Holy Ghost that is in me. You say, well, you got a white dog and a black dog, but that black dog is not up there ferocious and, and ruling my life. Amen. It's coward. It's laying over there. Most of the time, you, it's dead. And if it ain't dead, if it tries to rise again, I kill it again. I crucify it. Come on. I die daily. Now, Paul likened the church in Christ as being like a husband and a wife. He urges men to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, this is the man's role. He must be able to love. He must show due benevolence. He is to rule his house but his rule is to be one of love. A man who can't tell his wife he loves her with his words and deed is not a Christian husband. Not even a good man. He, he must be able to love. He must be able to express it with words and with actions. The Bible is clear. It says, without love you are nothing. Now, so you must be able to, even, you can't be a, a, I mean, you can sire children, but you can't be a father without love. It is a child born out of love, and then you love that child, and you tell it you love it, and you demonstrate you love it. You know, some people think, you know, well, I go to work. And some men think, well, I go to work and slave every day. Wouldn't my wife know I loved her? No, that doesn't necessarily mean you love her. It may mean you love your work. But you're to love your wife. The Bible said, husbands, love your wife. This is a commandment. Ephesians 5.33, however, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. 
and the wife must respect her husband. Now, we, we, you know, we a lot of times we want to hammer down on, boy, she better give me some respect. Well, I'll tell you what, if you loved her right, she would. Amen. A man who really loves his wife doesn't have any problem with her respecting him. Now, again, it isn't, respect isn't something that, that you can demand. Respect is something that is earned. And it is earned by payments of love. 1 John 4, 16, so we know and rely on the love of God, that the love God has for us, God is love. Whoever lives uh, in love lives in God and God in them. So here again, here, here's the thing. You live in love, and you, if you live in love, you live in God, and God lives in you. You cannot, you cannot, listen to me, you cannot be a Christian without being able to love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it, it, it keeps no records of wrong. Goodness, folks, don't, hey, don't take a picture of these people, half of them walked out right now. You see, it does not dishonor others. It is not proud. It is not boastful. It does not envy. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily anger. It keeps no records of wrong. Love. And you say, well, I can't do that. We know, we, and we know and rely on the love God has for us. Whoever, God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So without love, you don't have God. It's his basic nature. You won't go to heaven without it. It is the Holy Ghost. Now, it's not an evidence of the Holy Ghost. That's not what we're trying to say. The evidence of the Holy Ghost is not manifested in filial love. And that's where the confusion comes. But when you have the love of God, the nature of God, it produces in you the life of Christ. Now, again, again, when, when men and women in a marriage don't love each other, treating each other with mutual respect, the Bible said their prayers are hindered. You cannot have a real spiritual walk with it, you know, and, and not treat each other with mutual respect. You know, where you love each other, your prayers will be hindered if you don't. Family relations should be one of consensual love and honor and respect. Love cannot be demanded. Are you with me now? Now, love is built and maintained by being considerate and kind and compassionate and giving. Goodness, I'm going to preach to this place out there where you brothers out there, somebody out there say amen. South Africa, yell amen. You know, I love surprising my wife with things. Oh, yeah. I love hearing her squeal with delight. 
I loved seeing the joy on her face. I wanted to make her happy. And when we come down to the end, she could say, I've had a wonderful life. I have no regrets. That's what I want for every marriage in this church. Same kind of marriage. A man is to be the head of the house. But God did not make him a dictator. He is not a tyrant. The the devil does that, not God. Amen. She has feelings. She has opinions. She She is to have a voice in marriage. And even God told Abraham, listen to Sarah, thy wife. Amen. He said, and all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken to her voice. She has a voice. That is to be her. She is a person. Come on. Not just something you wipe your feet on. Lord over her. Rule over her. Yes, you're the rule, but it's to be by love. You know, the buck has to stop somewhere, so it stops on the man. God holds you accountable. But it's got to be out of love. Now, Brother Branham said, now, she's not a doormat. She's your sweetheart. And, and see, but you should sit down and talk to her and reason it with her and tell her and read the Bible and pray together. And not just read the Bible when you want her to obey you. That's when men are really good about getting out the Bible. <laughs> Woman, the Bible said. Some of them. Let me just say to you, yes, the Bible says that. But your leadership should be a godly leadership. Where that she respects you, that she knows you're a man of prayer, that you, she knows that you've got her best interests at heart and the family's best interests at heart. A man is not supposed to use that authority over a woman just because he's a ruler. I'm quoting Brother Branham. God is a ruler above you, brother. And if your wife is doing something wrong, then you got a right to tell her and she's supposed to listen to you. But you have no right to beat her or drag her around, or do those things. No, sir, you see, God made man a helpmate, not a doormat. Remember, she was your sweetheart, and she should always be that. Amen. Now, so, again, I quote Brother Brandon said, no real male makes a female a doormat. And hear ye him, Brother Branham said, here today, the world today is, Looking for something today. Uh, the world is looking for something today. When your little wife told you she'd be your sweetheart and wife, she was looking for somebody to love her. And when you promised your husband, he was looking for somebody. When he come in, weary and tired from working all day, some little wife to put her arms around him and kindly, kindly uh, brush his hair back and tell him how much she loved him. And he said, that's what causes separation in families is the neglect of love. And that's what causes separation in churches and neglect of love. We've got to have love. And let me tell you something. 
You know, your, your, your congregation in your house is looking to you for a godly example. And there's many a message kid turns away from the message because of what they saw demonstrated in their home. Oh, Brother Tim, I, I think you need one. need to preach a while now on dominating females. Come on, Brother Tim, Brother Tim, Brother Tim. <laughs> Neglect of love. Time-tested memorials of God. He said, I was talking about men losing their affections for their wife. Oh, and don't love them as they did when they were sweethearts. Shame on you. Absolutely, that's the part she should be. And you should treat her like that. Oh, never let that little honeymoon cease. Because it ain't going to do it, it, it ain't going to in heaven. It's going to be just perfectly one there. Because that's just full of divine love. A man told Brother Bradham, said, my wife thinks I ought to come in every night and kiss her and hug her and make it out like we were fixing to, to get married. I said, we're married and we got a bunch of, he said, we're married and we got a bunch of kids. He said, whoop. Wait a minute, boy, you're wrong, you're wrong. That's just the same as it was before you were married. Should be a love affair. Every, every home ought to make it where that there's one thing, love will rule this home because the Holy Ghost is love. Then he says fellowship comes by love and love requires fellowship. Oh, I'm tired. I mean, man, we come in. I, you, you, I worked all day and you expect me to talk to you? <laughs> Love requires fellowship. Oh, men keeping secrets from their wives and wives keeping secrets from their husbands? That's not marriage. There's no secrets. Love requires fellowship. If you love your wife, you just got to get with her and talk with her. This is love. And you know, uh, again, you know, well, I'm just not communicative. Well, get the Holy Ghost then. It'll change your attitude. When you get love in your heart, it'll change your attitude. Fellowship comes by love. If you said you love your wife and you never tell her about it, you never sit down and make love to her, express to her, kiss her, hug her, tell her she's the best cook in the country and all the things that you know and how pretty she is and how much you love her. If you don't do that, she'll never know it. That's the way if you do love her, you will express it. That's the way we do to God. When we love him, we tell him about it. We sit down and we adore him and worship him. See, love drives us to that. So, you know, children should be born out of consensual love. A wife, now forgive me if I get a little plain here, but a wife is not to be a sex disposal. She's to be an object of love and affection. She's to be flesh of the man's flesh. And he is to love her fervently with all his heart, giving his life for her, constantly loving and wooing her to himself. Now, 
I, so, so you see, this is what Paul was saying to the husband, love your wife. And I believe it just expanded it by the seventh angel by him saying, it's fellowship. It's telling, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the affection. It's, it's uh, all of that that combines, that demonstrates love. Now, but let me just tell you something. And here we're going to go into it. Because Brother Branham tells us in marriage and divorce very clearly, he said the church can be put away for refusing or denying any part of his word seed. Now, notice this. Notice he can put his his wife away anytime he wants to, but she can't put him away. He can throw me in the dust anytime he takes a notion to, but oh brother, I better not try to throw him there. I'm finished. You say, well, now wait a minute, Brother Tim. Well, that's what he does with the whore in the book of Revelation. She's an outcast of the economy of God, spewed out of the mouth of God. Amen. He put her away. Come on. Amen. Because because she denies him. Now, first of all, I want you to understand we have no reason. We have no reason to refuse or divorce Christ. Do you know what that would mean to divorce or refuse Christ? It's death. He has never sinned. He has never trespassed his covenant. He's never did anything to us but good. Amen. Second, I want you to look why he puts his church away. He puts her away for her adulteries. The the last age sins so that she becomes wretched, miserable, blind, naked, and so distasteful until he spews her out because she's a rejecter of him. He's on the outside. Look at Revelation 3. He's on the outside of the church knocking until grace is given over and over and over. Come on. Revival's been sent and miracles have been done and signs and wonders and even a prophet sent to this generation and what do they do? Still spew him out. Still refuse him until he spews her out. Now Jesus gave a man the right to put away his wife and remarry but not for any reason. Only on account of adultery. That's a Matthew chapter 19, 9. These are the words of Jesus. Whosoever puts away his wife except for fornication, that is pornaya, that's an illicit sexual intercourse, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is, not, which is put away doth commit adultery. So you get, a, you get the picture. She, she, uh, it, it must be only for one reason. Pornaya. An illicit sexual act. And that must be unprovoked. I'm mixing a little marriage and divorce in here. But again, she, it must be unprovoked. A man can't drink and dope and abuse his wife physically and verbally and be possessive and jealous and controlling and hateful. And then think because she flees to the arms of another man and, and, and that he can marry another, if he does that, God will judge that man as an adulterer. Are you with me? I, I, I want to get something clear while we're here. Divorce should never happen 
in the body of Christ. God hates putting away. Now, he doesn't hate the paper. He hates the behavior that leads to putting away. Now, let me just tell you something clear. We are a people that by the opening of the seven seal receive the mystery of the true mystery of marriage and divorce. And you are to marry only by revelation. That is the instructions to every one of you. I mean, you are to only marry. You young people listening? You are to only marry by revelation. Amen. Not because of looks, stature, physical appearance, the perfume she wears or he wears, his cute shoes. You are to marry by revelation. Come on now. You say, Brother Tim, how do we get revelation? You're a Christian, aren't you? You ought to know then how to get revelation. You pray to God to get revelation. You seek the will of God for your life. You just don't get in a marriage. I mean, you seek the will of God. I must know. Amen. I must know this is God's will for me. Now, so again, you're to know the will of God. Second, you are to marry by love, not infatuation. And that starts with both the man and woman first in love with Jesus and then in love with each other. So it starts with man and woman first loving Jesus more than anything, more than life, more than a husband, more than a wife, more than anything. I love him more. He's number one. And it starts there. Number one, I'm in love with Jesus. Then, Then, love each other. Now, in the Bible, as a requirement of priesthood, a priest had to marry a virgin. He could not marry even a widow. Now, Ezekiel gave one more exception to that, that he could marry the widow of another priest. But this this requirement was because of the priesthood represented Christ, the true high priest. Now, in those days, a king, for I like Solomon, he could marry a woman that wasn't married. But a priest could only marry a virgin. David would marry a widow woman, Abigail. But he was a king, not a priest, because a priest can't do that. And it shows the virginity of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bride will have to be unadulterated the word, not one word missing nowhere. Certainly, could you imagine a correct bride, one breast off and the other one, something, another wrong? You know, that's not going to be the bride of Christ. She is perfect. She is everything the word, not one word failing anywhere. I want to drive that home now. Not one word, not one word of his rejected. You cannot reject one part of him. One iota of scripture. Now, 
This is where it may get a little sticky, but today some words of God are rejected even in message churches. Some have made some of the word unpopular. It's just not in season. It's not popular. You know, it's not, it's not right for now. And, and, and so those parts are never preached. And other parts are disdained and regarded, uh, regard other, other parts of it as unneeded. You see, she's taken on the spirit of the whore. Come on. Because to her, the bride, every word of God is pure. Every word of God is needed. Every word of God is important. She hangs on to every word. She's in complete harmony with the bridegroom. Amen. Now, so, so therefore, you know, again, you know, again, parts of the word is rejected like, We don't need gifts of the Spirit. We don't need speaking in tongues. That's all done away with. Let me ask you something. We're going to turn to Isaiah 28 and 9, who Paul took this and and identified it with the coming of the Holy Ghost in the book of Hebrews. Um, But anyway, in um, uh, Isaiah 28 and 9, I want you to get this. Whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here little and there a little. Is everybody there with me? In other words, every word of God is important. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Little words, big words. They're all important to the bride. For with stammering lips and other tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is a refreshing, yet they would not hear. So he invited them, you know, to come and and, and the weary to rest. And he said, it will be with stammering lips and other tongues. I will speak to this people. And this will be the rest wherein you cause the weary to rest. So when's the last time you heard that scripture preached on? Yet, you know, Brother Branham referred to it all throughout his many sermons as the Holy Ghost rest and refreshing. Now, so here's another part of the word. Prophecy has been despised till it's unheard of. Divine healing. Oh, we believe God can, can and not that God has. Let me, let me just tell you something, friends. God, God can't. He already has. And if you're taking an attitude toward divine healing, God can do that. You need to be corrected. God has already done it. Because he did that at Calvary. He paid the price for your healing. All you got to do is accept it, just like accepting your salvation. Are you with me now? So then divine healing, well, God can and he has and he will do someday, you know, in the future. But we don't look at it as it's already a finished work. And besides, divine healing's a minor, not a major. And we're just no longer in that season where God does that anymore. So it makes divine healing almost a stink. 
we, you know, again, the thought comes along, we don't need supernatural experiences with God. You know why? Because that's been replaced with an unscriptural intellectual conception and a dried-eyed confession. Now, I'm talking about our whoredoms. And I'm talking about how many have went to whoredoms because they accept an intellectual conception, a dried-eyed confession instead of a real experience with God. Preachers now claim that we received the Holy Ghost like Mary did without sensation when she conceived, when, when the Holy Ghost overshadowed her and she was, in, she, she, she was, uh, was to give birth into the Christ child. Let me tell you something. That's not where you received the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's a lie. Any preacher that says that is a liar. Mary did not receive the Holy Ghost then, but in the upper room. And it happened with stammering lips and other tongues that she entered into the rest. And she received the refreshing. And she got drunk on new wine. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, you know, again, Brother Branham preaches this over and over again. What happened to Mary in the upper room? And he says from the, from the beginning it wasn't so. He said, now look, brother, look, they searched around to their kindreds. We can have a revival of the, among the Lutherans, among the Baptists, among the churches. And where do we find that spirit of power? Where do we find that? That's what I say. You know, this begs an answer. Where do we find it? Where do we see those people like it was on the day of Pentecost, so drunk under the Spirit of God, they staggered like drunk men? And let me tell you, my Catholic friends, the Blessed Mary was in there. That's right. And if God wouldn't let the Virgin Mary come to heaven until she was first filled with the Holy Ghost, dare you try to get there anything less? But the Bible said she was with them and the same thing that they were all doing, so filled with the power of God till they staggered and acted like drunk people. Are you with me now? Now, of course, uh, you know, this is before the seals, after the seals, and all the way through the message. You, You just can't get away from it. Come on. Now, we are calling ourselves perfect today because of a perfect word, but so much of it is being denied and missing. It ain't there. It's not among the body. To refuse one word of it is grounds for divorce. It's a seed. And to refuse to be a womb to bring that life forth is grounds for divorce. Now, and how can I overcome? Brother Branham said this, and everybody knows that's after the seals. He said, I was talking to someone the other day. They're very careful, even among the holiness groups, not to call the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, because they identify themselves with Pentecostals when they do that. They say Holy Spirit. See, to keep from saying Holy Ghost, Because Pentecostal common people just call it what the Bible says, Holy Ghost. Which Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost is the same thing. But they're very careful about it. They don't want to be identified with them tongue-speaking people. And that's the Holy Spirit itself. See? 
What happened? When the enemy that went out under sanctification that was washed out returned back and found the house not filled with the Holy Ghost, now this day the church is joined with the League of Churches, with the World Council of Churches, and it's a state now that connects itself with Roman Catholicism and the rest of it, and now seven times worse when it came out of Lutheranism. That's where uh, man takes it. And then look at the Laodicean church age after has received the Holy Ghost and with the knowledge and the spirit of God within it. And then the works of God is denied by it and call it an evil work. Then what about that? That's where Christ is put out of his own church. It never showed him in the church until he come to Laodicea. And when he got to Laodicea, he had been put out of his church trying to get back in. I wonder how many churches around the country is he not knocking at yet? They put him out. Calling it an evil work. Trying to give it an evil name. Now, for like, for like this, John 14, 12, that was only for the prophet. Mark 16, the apostolic ages is past. It was given to identify the message, see, but now that the perfect word has come, it's unneeded. That's the Church of Christ gospel. That's the denomination of, of that movement. That's that we, you know, it's, it's not needed anymore. It was just the scaffold work to build up the book of Acts. But after the book of Acts was established, the scaffold is taken down. So we don't have the movement of the Spirit. We don't have any acts of the Holy Ghost anymore. Because it was just the scaffold work. Brother Branham, Brother Branham stood against that. The bride will have to be an adultery to the word, not one word missing nowhere. Certainly, could you imagine a correct bride, one breast off, the other one, something other wrong, you know. That's not gonna be the bride of Christ. She is perfect. She's everything, the word, and not one word failing anywhere. How many is with me now? Amen. So he says again in church age book, if the church is the true church, it will have the very same spirit and word and acts of power that they had at Pentecost. By experience, it will be a Pentecostal church and there will be tongues and interpretation and prophecy and healing and God will be in the midst of her and God will declare himself in the midst of her as he always has. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Your prophet said hallelujah to that and I say hallelujah to that. Amen, because there again, that's what we're striving for. To be everything the word said we would be. A spotless bride. No blemishes. Not one word missing. Now, to refuse any part of his seeds, his word seed is grounds for divorce. Marriage and divorce, he said he can put her away. But she cannot put him away. He did it and it's proved in the days when Luther, Wesley, and Pentecost when they refused to become a further part of him by having spiritual sexual affair to become impregnated with further part of the word. You, you understand she refused. The Lutheran church refused for Christ to have any more desire with her. Luther refused. And let me say this. You're going to call me something anyhow. So it is today with every one of them. They failed to take that word. They refused Christ. And any woman that refuses a man as child has no right to be a wife to him. 
Amen. You remember in the Bible when the king married Esther because the queen refused, he just got another one. What happened when he when she refused to come out with the king and obey him? The, the same it is with a woman that refuses to be a wife to her husband. Amen. Now, so Brother Branham really, really is anchoring this in in marriage and divorce. So the church refusing Christ's seed of spirit and word, and that's what they're doing instead of, their, instead of producing him, we're producing hybrid children. Come on. Make homosexuals in the pulpit. Adulterers in the pulpit and in the church. If that's in the pulpit, what do you think's in the laity? Come on. Amen. We're not talking about some other move somewhere. I'm talking about what's happening in message circles. Amen. Now, you can get mad if you want to, but that's what's happening. You know, a form of godliness, but denying the power. Don't deny the power. The power that will transform a life and make sons and daughters of God. Don't deny the power that takes healing and miracles and signs and wonders out of the church. Amen. That's what the whore is producing. The bride will produce a blood-washed people who believes every word of promise and acts upon it. Children of the world instead of children of Christ because she refuses to be a wife to Christ. So they produce children of the creed and they grow up as harlots just like her. So instead of bringing forth a child, which a woman should, Brother Branham taught us, taught us that. You know, neither should a man deny a woman her child. No, your love ought to be bigger than that. It ought to be more than your selfishness about me. It ought to be also about her and her ability to bring a child and raise it for the glory of God. It's not a one-way street. But I'll tell you, Christ will never refuse us to bring forth his life. Neither will a real husband. Come on now. But you know what happens? They'll take instead a pet or dog or something and pretend that's her baby and give it a mother's love. Have you ever seen the like? Humanizing animals. I've loved animals. I've been an animal lover all my life. But I never humanized them. They're dogs or goats or cows or whatever they are. If they was edible, I ate them. <laughs> so, you know, again, invisible union of the bride. Brother Brandon said, if a woman won't have a baby for a husband, she'll take a dog or a cat or something. She's got a mother something. It's a nature. But to bear a child for a husband and raise it to the service of God, that's entirely out of her line. Oh, she should. Oh, well, she'd be so disgraced if she did by her sin, love, and society of this 1965 type of women, and it's just a modern thinking today. A true picture of the modern church today, he says, 
Neither does the modern church want any of these here screaming, shouting, tongue speaking, Acts 2.38, youngins around her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, he, she don't want any of them whooping and crying and screaming. Amen. Hallelujah. While such a child would immediately pull her out of her denomination. They had one like that in one of the churches while they had throw her out right quick. Why do you let us go on like this? Amen. And let me tell you, this is embarrassing the fool out of many message preachers today. They don't want kids that are born of the word. They don't want whooping and crying and screaming. Amen. Hallelujah. They want them twice dead and plucked up by the roots. And if there is any kind of movement, they'll choke it to death. Because they don't want a live birth in their church. And they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed to hear. They're embarrassed to hear that an evening like Tabernacle, somebody actually wept their way to Calvary. They're embarrassed to hear amen, that the Holy Spirit moved and they were shouting and dancing in the Spirit and rejoicing like Mary did in the upper room. And you'll never make it to heaven without the same kind of experience. And to deny our children that experience is to be a whore and a harlot. A denier of the seed word. Now, again, like I said, it's embarrassing. You know, I kind of remember, remember Aaron, when you were a young man and coming up, Newly married, no kids. You remember looking around and seeing the other young, young married people with these screaming brats? You remember how it was sitting in a restaurant and why did they bring that kid here? Shut its mouth. Don't they have any sense to bring a kid like that to, you know, around me? Well, you know, we come here to have a good time. This is no good time, smelly diaper. Kid still peeing in his pants, throwing a tantrum over on the floor. But when he had a child, it was a different day. Huh? It was a different day. That's my baby. Amen, that's my child. I'm gonna bring her out to eat with me. She might throw a tantrum, but she's still my baby. She might cry and embarrass the fool out of me, but she's still my child. I'm not leaving her home. I'm not leaving her with a sinner. She's my baby. Amen. Sometimes I tell you, they might get a rowdy around here. They might just kind of act up a little bit. They might embarrass some of you a little bit, but I'm telling you right now, it's God's child. He's given birth to a bride of people. Hallelujah. And I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed to say, hallelujah, somebody got free in the spirit. Somebody shouted. Somebody praised the name of the Lord. I'm not embarrassed. 
I'm not embarrassed about tears on the altar. I'm not embarrassed about a prayer line. I'm not embarrassed because somebody shouts and rejoices in the in with victory and dances in the spirit. I'm not embarrassed because we are bringing forth the seed of the word. All of it. And ashamed of him, Brother Branham said, today if somebody says, are you a Christian? Well, it's a very much a popular thing to say, oh, I'm a Christian. But do you believe the word of God that said these signs shall follow them that believe? Well, you do know that says they will speak with new tongues, right? Amen. Or even ministers' faces will blush. Are you ashamed to say of divine healing? Are you ashamed of the full gospel? Are you ashamed of your Pentecostal experience? That's being ashamed of his word. That's his word made flesh in you. This is in July just before he leaves. And yes, it was preached in his tabernacle. He wasn't trying to pet some Pentecostals. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you. Why would he be ashamed of you? Because you're claiming to be his when you won't follow him. What if I said this little boy is my son? He'd turn around and say, who, me, your son? What do you think I am? It would embarrass me. So would, it, would, would you, your son? And that's the way so-called Christianity today. If you name the name, a, a name it a name, a denomination, all right, they can accept the fatherhood of a denomination. But it, when it comes to accepting the fatherhood of the word of God, Christ, in other words, admitting the word fathered, fathered them, that holy, that's the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The Holy Ghost, that's my daddy. Yes, Come on. Amen. You see, they're embarrassed. They don't want to say, yes, I have spoke with tongues. Yes, I have seen visions. Yes, I believe in divine healing. Yes, I praise the Lord. I'm free from all organization. I'm not bound down to any of it. I'm a servant of Christ. Oh my, that would just tear them to pieces. A man who has once come in contact with God, which is the word, and the word has been made plain and manifested to him. There is no shameness about that. You're not embarrassed. Don't embarrass me to say I believe every word of God. Doesn't embarrass me when the Lord says to do, say anything and you go say and do it. It don't embarrass me to say, I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. It doesn't embarrass me to say, I've spoke with other tongues. I, it don't embarrass me to say, our Lord has showed me visions. It don't embarrass me to say, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So I'm just going to tell you, your prophet wasn't embarrassed by you either. But it is embarrassing the fool out of some of these message preachers. I'm not having that Pentecostalism in my church. Well, it is, it is Pentecostal, but it's not Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism, the bride, you can never feed the bride Pentecostalism, but she is a Pentecostal church. It's what Malachi 4 was to do was to turn our hearts back to the Pentecostal fathers. Tell me what was the message to do? Turn our hearts back. 
Return, O backsliding children. Come back to Zion. That's what Malachi 4 did. He said, just what the church was at Pentecost is the standard. That is the pattern. There is no other pattern. No matter what the scholars say, God has not changed that pattern. What God did at Pentecost, he has to keep on doing until the church ages close. And the church age don't close till the rapture. It's, it's the bride that was seen in preview. He said she's the same kind of bride, same kind, built out of the same kind of material she was at the first place. Now read Malachi 4 and see if we're not supposed to have a message in the last days that had turned the hearts of the children back to the Father, back to the original Pentecostal message, word by word. Brothers, we are here. Even Satan knows. Assuredly that the original church of Pentecost, at Pentecost with the power of God, Mark 16 in action, is the true church that Jesus claims as his own. All else is false. Again, if the vine ever brings forth another branch of itself, that branch will be exactly like the vine itself. It will be the same kind of branch that was brought forth at Pentecost. It will speak in tongues, prophesy, have the power and signs of the resurrected Jesus Christ in it. What the church had at Pentecost is her inalienable rights. Originally, she had the pure word of God. She had the power of the spirit manifested in diverse signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Ghost. The true church will always try to be like the original at Pentecost. The true church of the day will try to approximate the early first one. What are we striving to be like? And if the church is the true church, it will have the very same spirit and word and acts of power that they had at Pentecost. By experience, it will be a Pentecostal church and there will be tongues and interpretation and prophecy and healing and God will be in the midst of her and God will declare himself in the midst of her as he always has. Brother Tim, why are you emphasizing this? Well, why are you de-emphasizing it? Maybe I'm having to emphasize it because it's been de-emphasized. Your silence shows you don't believe it. Your silence is proven that you don't believe the word. This last age, which was to be the age in which the true church would return to be in the bride she was at Pentecost, We must know there must be a necessity be a return of dynamic power. Now, can't you see then why Satan is trying so hard to keep this bride from giving birth to these kind of children? Because these kind of children is what will produce the bridegroom. Are you with me? The anointing... This anointing that's upon preachers to make them ashamed of the true experience of Pentecost, they're embarrassed. As he said, an invisible union. So you see, she's impregnated with something because she's bringing forth members all the time. But she don't want none of them screaming, hollering, blabbering, Acts 2.38, miserable creatures that she thinks they are. It would certainly embarrass her. It would ruin her and her educated, ethical, scientific society church that she belonged to here. They would throw her out at the next council. 
She can't have it, so she don't want to be impregnated with the word because that's the only time the word can bring forth. Born of the Spirit of God, if it's got the Spirit of God in it. No intellectual church join, creed going, bobbed hair, painted face. There's no such a thing as that in all of it. You don't find that in the word of God. You find an old-fashioned, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled child born of the Spirit of God, screaming, hollering, shouting, praising God. Amen. Amen. So, well, Brother Tim, y'all make too much noise. Well, this is the quietest place you'll ever live. Because in heaven, I'll tell you what, they're going to be screaming and shouting and dancing and rejoicing. Come on. Amen. Now, you see, again, that's what you find. The only kind the word can bring forth is tongue speaking, Acts 2.38, blabbering, screaming youngins, born of the spirit of God. It has the spirit of God in it. No intellectual church join, creed going, bobbed hair, painted face. Here's the problem. This is why many message believers now are wearing makeup. This is the reason why the dresses are getting shorter and tighter. This is the reason why, come on, this is why, this is why the, the, the painted faces are coming back. They never got a word birth. Are you with me? Because when you find a child of God, you'll find an old fashioned, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled child, born of the spirit of God, screaming, hollering, shouting, praising God. Amen. That's a true message church. Hallelujah. Because that's the kind of church the Apostle Paul preached. In a deceived church by the world, he talks about how there has to be a death before there's a birth. And he says a man or woman can never have a new birth until their intellectuals and their own self is rotten, dead, die out at the altar and scream and get all messed up to a place that all the starch gets out of your collar and you're born again by the Spirit of God. He says, I don't care if you squall, speak in tongues, jump up and down, flop like a chicken with his head off, you're bringing forth new life. But we substituted something for it. We wanted the classical way. And what do you produce? A nest full of rotten eggs. A cage of every unclean and hateful bird. That's all the same, you know. Amen, that's what happens. We produce that kind of thing. Thirsting for life. Brother Branham said, people are afraid of the new birth. They're afraid of it. Now, I ain't birth. I don't care what level it's on. It takes a mess. You, if you take if it's out yonder in a pig pen. Any birth is a mess. If it's, a pig, if it's in a pig pen, if it's in a cow stable, if it's in a pink decorated hospital room, I don't care where the birth takes place. It's a mess. And a new birth is the same. It'll make you do things you didn't think you would do. You might cry, boo-hoo, rub around on the altar. No matter what you do, I, I, I've never asked God to do no good to try to bring the new birth on my level. I want to meet God's level of the new birth and receive it. I don't care what I have to do. Somebody said to not long ago, I'm afraid to receive the Holy Ghost. I'm afraid it make me speak in tongues like them others. He says, I don't care if I spoke in tongues, talked in tongues, 
crowed in tongues or anything else. I want the Holy Ghost. That's the main principle. I don't care what level it is. I'll meet God on his level. Rest without with God until you can hold on and the blessing comes. Hallelujah, God will change you from your old Jacob ways, a supplanter, a deceiver, and make a prince with God out of you. As he said in the church age book, instead of the straight word of God, instead of spirit-filled men in the church who are led by spirit-given revelation, there are now creeds and bylaws and the educated guesses of educated men. Learning has taken the place of revelation. Reason has replaced faith. Program has replaced spontaneous praise. It wasn't so from the beginning. The whole species has changed. It's become a hybrid church. So when the church becomes hybridized, will it produce pure Christians? It can't. The seed or life that brings Christians to birth is not in them. The like brings forth like. Baptists will bring forth more Baptists. They act like Baptists. Methodists will bring forth Methodists. They act like Methodists. Not one of them, not, not one is known by the power of God, nor can they be, for it's not there. They are known by the ceremonial worship of God and their creeds and dogmas. That's right. Now, in, th- in, in third Exodus, he tells of how that Joseph was hated by his brethren because he was spiritual and he saw visions. And he had words from God. And he said, so they sold him down to Egypt. They got jealous of him. And he said, they thought they would never need him. We don't need, and I'm quoting third Exodus, we don't need speakers with tongues. We don't need interpreters of tongues. We no longer need Old Testament prophets to set us in order by the Holy Spirit. We understand we have adopted man-made system to take place of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there is a people that is elected and has their names on the Lamb's Book of Life. They can't go for that. They are spiritual minded and therefore they can't go from that. They can't stand it no matter if their fathers and mothers has lived in whatever organizational church. Oh, I can hear somebody say, well, are you just trying to get us all speaking tongues and prophesy, Brother Tim? Is that really what you're trying to do? No. No. However, you know, if I, if I stood with Paul, he would say, I would that you all spoke with tongues. If I, if I took what he said, he says, despise not prophesying, forbid not speaking in tongues. So, no, I, I'm not... I'm not trying to get you to do it. I'm trying to get you not to despise it. I'm trying to get you not to forbid it. Amen. Amen. You see, these are no requirement for an individual salvation, but they must be in the body of believers. All don't speak with tongues. That's right. The Bible said that. All don't prophesy. The Bible says that too. Amen. But in the body, there will be tongues, there will be prophecies, there'll be gifts of the Spirit in the body, the church. These things are among believers. They're a sign that believers are present. God works among them. Amen. 
These signs follow them that believe. They shall speak with new tongues. They will cast out devils. They will do this by the Spirit. Because it's in my name, Jesus said, they'll do this. They'll do this in my stead, in my name, in my stead. They will be the ones casting out devils, speaking with new tongues, laying hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Oh, but we don't want prayer lines today. Well, what's the matter with you? You see, it's not a requirement for you in order for you to go to heaven to see a vision. But it is a promise in the word. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And young men shall see visions. Your old men shall, shall dream dreams. And it won't be just on the men, but it'll be upon my, my sons and my daughters. I'll pour out my spirit, saith the Lord. It's got to be in the church. Is that right? Amen. I think it ought to be like Brother Brandon said in the last year of his life. It don't embarrass me to say I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. It don't embarrass me to say I've spoke with other tongues. It don't embarrass me to say that the Lord has shown me vision. It don't embarrass me to say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You say, well, but we're not in the season for that. Brother, if, listen, we're in the season of the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't ever go out of season. Amen. First Kings 19 and 3, this is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth and there's no strength, not strength to bring forth. 1 Kings 19.3. Put that up for them. Well, try 2 Kings. Yeah. This is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. For the children are come to birth and there's not strength to bring forth. There's got to be a people on earth that has the strength to believe for every word, for every promise. Amen. We're in a day of trouble and calamity. But in that day, God promised a restoration of every word of God. Because God will take a virgin bride. She is him. She will be his representation upon the earth. Can I go a little longer? Thank you. So it is, it is the rising of the sun. He said him being the groom, the bride, has to come forth because it's a part of him. And it can only be the manifestation of the fulfilling of all the revelations any other spoke of the bride. So in other words, it can only manifest like Sarah, the barren woman, a man who receives strength, though in old, in old age, Crippled up and old, old, amen. Stoved up, are you with me? Gray-headed, walking around with a cane, past barren, 2,000 years old. Amen, but she's gonna bring forth life. When? When she judges him faithful, who gave the promise. That's what I'm trying to get you to do this morning. Judge him faithful. I'll have a bride. I'll have a people. There will be my spirit among them. They will receive every word of mine. Somebody that will receive strength to bring forth a child. 
by judging him faithful. It's the manifestations of the fulfilling of all revelations of any other spoke of the bride. So it speaks of Rebecca, the barren woman. You remember, Rebecca could not bring forth children, and her husband interceded for her. Oh, God, intercede for your bride. She must bring forth the Messiah back to you. Amen. What about Rachel? who Jacob worked for? What about the Gentile bride who Joseph received while down in Egypt away from his brothers? Come on. While he was down in Egypt, what did he do? He got a Gentile bride. When he was in exile, he got a Gentile bride. When, when Christ has been in exile away from his brothers, the tribes of Israel, he gets a Gentile bride. Amen. This is what has been prophesied. Moses, another type of Christ, received a Gentile bride while in the exile away from his brethren. Amen. Amen. Ruth, the Gentile bride, redeemed by her kinsman, Boaz. Hallelujah. She was not content just to be a gleaner. She wanted the whole field. Give me the man and I'll own everything. Give me Christ, we'll have everything. I don't want just a handful of this or a handful of that. I want the whole field. I want the whole possession. I want every promise in the word of God. I'll take it all. It's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. Because I am the redeemed. Esther, the queen, who came to, who came to recognize her position, All of these revelations were spoke of the bride. And if it does something different from the groom, it isn't the bride. If Mark 16 doesn't manifest to her, she's not the bride. If Luke 17, 30 does not manifest to her as the last sign, the word made flesh, she is not the bride. If Revelation 10, 8, thou must prophesy again, doesn't manifest to her, through her, she is not the bride. Amen. You see, if healing and workings of miracles and casting out devils and tongues and interpretation and prophecy does not work through her, she is not the bride. Because she is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh and life of his life. Amen, and power of his power. She is him. She is not just mechanics, word only, but she's dynamics with it. And your prophet and our, my prophet said, we have put too much emphasis on the mechanics and not enough on the dynamics. So as Israel was before Exodus, before the Exodus, they were among the Egyptians. And they could never receive the promised Messiah down in Egypt, but they had to get to the promised land. Don't you know there was a call then, come out of her, my people? Is that right? In the third Exodus, he said the church has to do the same thing. Get out of the group of rejectors over into the promise before the Messiah can ever be manifested before them. You see it? The life of the Messiah manifested making a church ready, a bride. 
a, man, a woman marry a man and disagreeing with him. It would be some kind of a fuss continually. But when a man and his wife, his girlfriend, his spouse, when they are in perfect harmony like one soul and one mind because they're going to be one flesh, and when the church can get in such harmony with God until the manifestations of the bridegroom is manifesting the bride because they're going to be one. So he said, you've got to get out of, from among those rejectors. In other words, you've got to separate yourself from unbelief. Is that right? Now, a man, a man and his wife, a husband and his wife, they can't be truly family unless they're one. They have to be. If they're not, they're not a good family. You see a wife pulling one way and a husband pulling the other? That would make an awful family, wouldn't it? Amen. But, in a, but you see an agreement with love with one another, that's a family. And that's what, that was God's masterpiece. And now the true family, all the true family here portrays that. So you are to portray in your family what God has in his family. We ought to be able to look at families in this church and see God's family. Come on. We ought to be looking at a husband and a wife and see Christ and his bride. Amen. We ought to see the children in obedience to God and obedience to their parents and reflecting back what true children would do. Now, you know, you young men right here and young ladies, you're not married, but you, but you still got a part to play. Do you know the Bible said that Jesus there, he was such a student of the word that he went to the tabernacle in the temple and he disputed with the priest. And, his, and, and here, come, here come Mary come along and said, uh, you know, what, what has happened? You know, you, we've left you and, and you didn't come with us. And why, what have you done? And he said, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. And the Bible said he went with them and was subject to them until his appearing in, in Israel. So you see, part of your Christian walk is being subject to your parents, obedient, because you are reflecting a child of God. You are reflecting, well, you know, in that your attitude toward Christ. Son, take out the garbage. You five-year-old. Teenager with an ugly attitude. Asking somebody, you know, to clean up your room. You ought not have to be told to clean your room up. And I'm not just talking to boys here. I'm talking to girls too. Don't learn a filthy habit. Keep your room neat and clean, just like Jesus would walk into it. Be a model kid. Obedient, not fussing, not talking back, not arguing. Oh, Brother Tim, I like this a lot better when you're preaching about mom and dad. (laughs) You see, your attitude towards them shows your attitude toward Christ. Are you with me now? 
Amen. So just think about it next time you throw your little five-year-old tantrum and you're 14, 15, 16. Think about it. Think about your responsibility as a young person representing Christ in this message. You're talking back, arguing with your mom and dad, fussing and throwing your little tantrums. You're young people. I expect you to be young people. You got flesh, overcome it. Well, it's in my family nature. Well, step off of that one onto another nature. Break the cycle. So while my parents don't forget about what they're doing, it's between you and Christ. Jude, stand up, you're 12 years old. You're at the age of accountability. Your mom and dad are no more accountable for you. You're accountable before God for your behavior. You will answer to God. You will make it in the rapture on your own experience, not your moms and dads. At that age, you must seek the Lord. That's the same way with all you other young men. Thank you, Jude. It's a responsibility. We are representing the family of God. You see, in our marriages, in our home, it's a love affair. It's not, it's not, Brother Tim said so. You know, I had poor, one poor man, his wife come along, they attended some of the meetings, and, I, you know, they didn't quite get, get it, you know. And they said, you know, finally the, the sister said, or the woman said, she said to some of the other ladies, said, you know, Brother Tim, it really seems to be a really kind man. You know, I don't think he's that bad said, um, if we would talk to him, I'm sure he'd let us wear pants and cut her hair and use a little makeup. I mean, you know, he's really not an unreasonable person. I didn't make the rules. I can't change it. If it was my rules, it's changeable. It could change from church to church. Amen. Well, you know, whatever pastor let go here can be let go over there or held held a a standard here or there. It's not my standard. It's his word. I can't change it. I can't change the rules. Not even for my own kids. You see, it's a love affair. And a Laodicean lukewarm affair will not work. Do you know I hear, I have message preachers crying on my shoulder. I'm an older minister now. I hate it, but I'm older. I used to be the 15-year-old boy preacher and no longer. They look at me as the old man. But I hear preachers call me. They say, Brother Tim, what can we do? We can't get people out on Wednesday night. You know, they're, they're always out, you know, they're, they, they make excuses for Sunday. They're camping, they're hunting, they're doing this, they're that. You, you know, I said, we, we, we're, we're having trouble just, just uh, having, having people there. You know, you said, Brother Tim, why does it matter? Because empty pews don't praise God. 
Because if the love of God's in your heart, you'll be here every time the church door is open. So all the ministers today are having such a time getting their people out to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. They love television programs. Oh, maybe you don't have one, but your computer. And they love amusements. They don't want to come to church on Sunday, many of them. They tell me, the ministers, that the church pews are empty, emptying out because the people are been again and go. The world offers so much class, so much fancy and tinsel upon the things of the world, and the people fall for it. Now, that shows that at the beginning, they had nothing to start with. But you know what? What churches have done in order to get them there, so then they have movies and popcorns and coffee shops and rock and roll bands and dances. And they have that to get them there to hear a a five-minute sermon on Christ and go back to their partying. And churches will fill up for that. But I tell you what will really feel a true church is an outpouring of the love of God, the power of the Holy Ghost, and put a revival in the hearts of the people till they can't stay away from the house of God. Amen. That's what's needed, even an evening like tabernacle, to get rid of some of the lukewarmness in the church. Amen. Where the power of God is felt in every service. And here the Spirit of God moves among the people and souls weep their way to Calvary. God help us that we got to turn the programs to attract the people. Somebody asked me here a while back, and I just copied what Brother Branham said, but anyway, asked me what, what uh, so how do you get all them young people to church? How do you get them on the front row? How do you get them up there? How do you do that? You know, we don't tell them to. They're not set there by the deacons. It's their own choice. You know, you know what I've found? They want to be as close to the anointing as they can. They want to show a real love and a fervency for Christ. Amen. Are you with me? Amen. I, I tell you what, you know, those, those that are really attracted to God, they'll, they'll, they will want to be in that presence. Somebody asked me, well, what do you do to get them kids to come to church? And how do you get them there to, to respond that way? And how, how, how do you get them to do it? I said, I give them pills. Every service we pass out pills. You're talking about looks. I get them. And I said, the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You get the love of God in their heart. You get the power of Christ within them. You get, you get the love for Jesus. They just want more of it. Lord, you touched me once, touch me again. I felt you once, I want to feel you again. Oh, I want in your presence. One more time, Lord, can, can you just put your arms around me? I love, I love for you to embrace me. I love for you to hug me up to you. I love for you to tell me, I love you, I love you. You're mine, you were chosen, you were called before the world began. Hallelujah, I love to hear the story of redemption that you left all of heaven and went to hell because you would rather go to hell than live in heaven without me. Yeah. 
When you love God, you couldn't write you or wire you away from church. They couldn't chain you away. You can't hide a believer from God. If you love the world better than you love a prayer meeting, if you love rather watch a television program than pray, there's something wrong with you. If you'd rather have a Sunday afternoon ride than going to church, there's something wrong with you somewhere because where your heart is, there's where your treasures are also. You see, it's a love affair. It isn't, you know, you're hammered to death and you're beat. Come to church. It's because there's something in your heart. You, you so want him. You're, you're built into the structure of Christ because you're, you're, you're the bride of Christ. But you know how it got? You know, it, it isn't long until Israel on their journey. Now, they had got married. And they, they, they began to lose their first love. And they get out there and our soul loathes this light bread. Angels' food coming down from heaven. And they would rather have what they left behind in Egypt. Come on, somebody. Than to have the pillar of fire. That leading them. They would rather be slaves down in Egypt than to have the shout of the king. They would rather live down in Egypt and have the leeks and the garlics than they would to have angels' food from heaven. Are you with me? Amen. This was this is what happened. They lost their first love. The Ephesian age would die out losing their first love. Till God would say, I have somewhat against you. I cannot rapture this church. I cannot take her. Though they've got Paul's message. Though they've had mysteries revealed. I can't take her. Because they lost their first love. Their fervent desire to please God has died down. And in too many assemblies, all there is is just the blackness of the ashes of a past revival. There hadn't been a move of God there for years and years and years and years. And there's no love affair. Oh, Wednesday night, Timothy will preach. And Sunday, Brother Tim, he'll rant. Two hours, two hours. We're the only church that has to put up with two hours. He don't know when to quit. He's like a wind-up energizer toy. You know, he gets wound up and he can't stop. A worshiper goes to worship to express himself before God. It doesn't matter if everybody else is cold. It don't matter if everybody else is backslid. He goes there to worship. He forgets everything else that's around him. He's there in love with Jesus. And he brings the love of God around him. And it starts spreading throughout the church. Hallelujah. And the shout, the joy becomes the coming the, in the midst of the believer. And there's rejoicing and tears that are flowing down. And the songs of Zion are sung. And the, oh, hallelujah. The spirit of God comes and moves and anoints the preacher. Not an intellectual servant, but an anointing servant. Filled with the power of God. And he prophesies. Not just a duty. Go with this boy. Mom wants you to. I don't like him. 
I go with him anyway. Well, you don't care how you dress. You don't care what your hair looks like. You don't care. You don't care if you, I'll just chew on gum in front of me. I'll make myself as distaste. You know, mama wants me to do this. You see, it's not a love affair. But when it becomes a love affair, hallelujah, I care what I look like. Amen. I want to please him. I want to please her. I, I, I want her to know I love her with all of my heart. I want him to know I love him with all of my heart. You see, it's a love affair. Amen. I'm in love with Jesus and he's in love with me. I've got this picture of this Jesus. I'd love to let you see. I'll tell you, here's the picture. He's the healer of all your diseases. He's the master of your stormy seas. I'm in love with Jesus. But what's more, he's in love with me. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. I'm in love with him. He's in love with me. It's a marriage of love. Not a duty, a love affair. Nobody has to coax me to read the Bible, to pray. Nobody has to push me and prod me. I'm in love with him. I love him with all my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Will you give him praise this morning? Just, just express it back to him just for a moment. Hallelujah. We have to be in agreement with you. I agree, Lord. I may not know how to make it all work. But Lord, every gift, every engagement ring, every everything that you send, I treasure it, every gift. I want to squeal with delight over every promise. Don't let it become common. I love you with all my heart, with all my soul. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just worship him a moment now. Just raise your hands to him. Just give him praise. Just thank him for his goodness. He brought you. Look what he's done for you. Look where he brought you from. Look what you was. Look what you are now. Oh, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, 
But you found me, Lord. You purchased my salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How many husbands here today say, Lord, reflect your love through my life to my wife. Let me be a real example. No bitterness. No unforgiving spirit. How many, how many of the little sisters would say, God, make me a real reflection of your bride. Real reflection of you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You purchased our salvation, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. On Calvary's, Calvary's tree, I love him. Just move in to wherever they are.